Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. Obsession is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. Like a drug, it affects the mind and body, providing singular focus and determination, but removing objectivity. Obsession is an endless, all-consuming hunger that is never satisfied. English explorer Percy Fawcett had that hunger, and it led him to the ends of the earth. Born in Devon, England in 1867, Fawcett grew up surrounded by outdoorsmen and adventurers. His father was a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society, while his brother used his experiences as a mountain climber to influence the many adventure novels he wrote. He joined the British Army, then eventually got married and started a family. He and his wife Nina had two sons and a daughter. Around the turn of the century, Fawcett followed in his father's footsteps, becoming a member of the Royal Geographical Society himself. He hoped his time in the RGS would help him hone his skills in cartography by surveying land in such regions as North Africa and, eventually, South America. South America was entirely new to the young Fawcett, who made his first trip there in 1906, when he was 39 years old. He had been tasked by the RGS with exploring an unknown patch of jungle along the border between Bolivia and Brazil. And from the get-go, it seems Fawcett's travels would be nothing short of extraordinary. Several months after he first arrived in Bolivia, he encountered wildlife unlike anything he'd ever seen back in England, including an anaconda that was over 60 feet long, which, of course, Fawcett shot and killed. The explorer's stories of enormous and dangerous animals were certainly entertaining, but rarely believed by his more scholarly colleagues. Still, something about the area captivated him, and he didn't let professional ridicule stop him from finding out more. Fawcett made several return trips to South America over the years— At first, his visits were met with hostility by the local tribes, but through generous offerings and friendly behavior, he was welcomed into their villages as a guest. There was something Fawcett noticed about the native people he met. They had thrived for generations in one of the harshest environments on the planet, without the conveniences of the modern world. Fawcett interpreted their survival as evidence of something more than he had seen. He believed that somewhere, deep within South America, there was a place. Not just a place— A city. One that had been lost for thousands of years, all but consumed by the jungle. His theories were confirmed by the discovery of a journal that had been written by an early Portuguese explorer over 150 years earlier. Within its pages, the explorer had described the abandoned ruins of an ancient, advanced civilization. It was massive in size, with great big arches and a temple, the walls of which had been overrun with drawings and hieroglyphs. The document had been cataloged in the National Library of Brazil simply as Manuscript 512, and the mystery of its origins were surpassed only by the mysteries within its ten pages, mysteries which had taken over Fawcett's imagination and fueled his new obsession. He called it the Lost City of Z, but the adventurer didn't attempt to find Z until after he'd done a tour of duty in the First World War, after which he came back to Brazil with the sole purpose of locating his lost city. He didn't get far, though. The weather took a turn for the worse, and Fawcett was struck with a bad fever, forcing him to turn back. But he wasn't done. He knew the lost city of Z was still out there, waiting to be rediscovered. 
His contemporaries called him crazy for wanting to try. They hadn't believed his wild stories before, and they certainly didn't believe him as he fought to fund a second mission. Five years later, though, Fawcett returned. The 57-year-old was joined by his son Jack and Jack's friend Raleigh Rimmel. They focused their efforts on the deep, lush jungles of the Mato Grosso region where Fawcett believed Z to exist. And sadly, that's where their story ended. Fawcett, his son, and their companion all disappeared on their expedition. Subsequent efforts to recover their bodies turned up nothing. And as for Z, well, it's still lost, too. Somewhere out there might be a city waiting to be found. A city that has claimed the hearts and minds of explorers across generations. A city whose legend and lore have been built on one thing. Obsession. Certain things can evoke conflicting emotions inside us. The sound of a crying baby can either stir up empathy or frustration. A clown can be funny or terrifying. And in most cases, the sight of a balloon is something to inspire joy and happiness. Like I said, in most cases. As America and Germany were looking for their next big weapon to end World War II, Japan was studying the weather. A cold jet stream of air had been detected about 30,000 feet above the country and was found to be so strong it could carry a weather balloon 5,000 miles across the Pacific Ocean in only three days. Using this knowledge, scientists went to work. They constructed 30-foot-long spheres out of rubberized silk filled with hydrogen, which were then tethered to mechanical instruments and dozens of sandbags. Temperature fluctuations had to be taken into account. Sunlight during the day caused the silk to expand, At night, when the temperatures dropped, so would the balloons. To prolong their journeys, a system was engineered using an altimeter. If the balloons dropped below 30,000 feet, two sandbags at a time would be cut loose automatically, allowing the balloons to maintain their altitude. If they flew too high or the pressure inside them became too dangerous, hydrogen was vented out to keep them balanced. For three days, the balloons were carried along the jet stream, over the ocean to the west, at which point they discarded their ballast and dropped to Earth. The balloons weren't devised to study weather patterns, though. They were bombs. Between 1944 and 1945, Japanese forces launched more than 9,000 balloons toward the United States, each one carrying a combination of TNT, thermite, gunpowder, and other explosive chemicals. Out of those 9,000, only about 300 actually made it to their intended destinations. They landed all over North America, in places like Alaska, Oregon, Nevada, and even parts of Canada. The Japanese had been mulling over a plan for retaliation after American forces bombed Tokyo in the Doolittle Raid of 1942. They couldn't fly manned aircraft to the United States, as their planes were incapable of traveling those long distances, so the balloons provided an easier way of inflicting mass casualties from overseas. The plan was not without its flaws, though. Most balloons fell into the Pacific without harming anyone, and the death toll was far lower than expected. Unfortunately, several of the incendiary devices that did cross into America wound up causing quite a bit of destruction. Reverend Archie Mitchell had recently become the pastor of a church in Bly, Oregon. He'd wanted to get to know the youth of his congregation a little better, so on May 5th of 1945, he and his wife, who was pregnant with their first child, invited five students from their Sunday school class out on a picnic. The couple drove the children 45 minutes outside of Bly to the bucolic Gerhardt Mountain. 
Once Mitchell had parked his car, everyone disembarked to explore the surrounding area. There was a creek at the bottom of a small hill, but it wasn't the rushing water that had caught the children's attention. A young girl named Joan Patsky noticed a large white object on the ground. The children and Elsie gathered around it. Mrs. Mitchell beckoned her husband to join her and come see what they'd found, noting it looked like some kind of big balloon. He tried to warn them from the car, screaming at them to back away from the object blanketing the grass, but he couldn't get the words out in time. One of the other children touched it, his curiosity getting the better of him. Elsie, her unborn child, and the students were all killed. In a less tragic incident, one Japanese balloon fell on a power line in Hanford, Washington. The resulting blackout put nearby Hanford Engineer Works out of commission. It wasn't down for long, though, and resumed operations once the debris had been cleared and the power had been restored. What did Hanford Engineer Works make? Plutonium. The same plutonium used to fuel a bomb the Allies would drop five months later. On Nagasaki, Japan. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.